We are officially live. Damien Adams, welcome to the podcast, man. How are things doing for you over east? Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on board. And um, yeah, look, things are things are pretty good over here. Obviously, um, everyone's sort of dealing with the whole COVID situation and things like that. Um, and it's different for everywhere and everyone in different states. But um, look, all in all, can't complain. Just got to keep moving forward through it. Yeah, understood, man. It's a pretty interest it's a pretty uh, interesting time where everyone's got eyes on what's going on over east and you know but what's really important is you can't control the situation i mean you control how you respond to it that's what matters but before we get into all that man let's get a little bit and uh, know a little bit more about you let's uh, start with you you know introducing yourself what you do yeah for sure man um so yeah, i'm 27 turned 28 this year um, I've been in the industry for roughly seven or eight years now. Um, in the early stages, I was sort of on and off as it wasn't a, a fully sort of committed thing. But um, the last sort of five or six years, I've been sort of right back into it and really trying to uh, better myself as a coach. Um, I've dabbled in a lot of different things. I've um, gone from a weight loss journey of my own. I was actually an extremely overweight kid. Um, I was got to the worst of being 111 kilos, sorry, 107 kilos when I was 11 years old. Wow. <laughs> um, so that's, the word that's... obesity was definitely there. <laughs> um, so that's sort of where my um, health and fitness sort of journey started. I was a rather good football player because I was twice the size of any kid my age. Um, but from there, I started just exercising, eating better, wanted to be healthier. Um, and the rest is history. Since then, I've um, raced motocross at a fairly high level. I've um, done competed in about four bodybuilding comps now and done it pretty well at that. Uh, transitioned to powerlifting. I do Olympic weightlifting. Um, I like to do a bit of boxing and stuff like that on the side just for fun and fitness. So I like to dabble in a bit of everything. And um, I guess these days I'm more niche towards strength and conditioning for athletes across a lot of different sports, but I still have a large clientele base of general population. And obviously with my background of weight loss and understanding all of that, um, I still really enjoy working with um, general population and helping them sort of achieve the results they want and live a happy, happy and healthier sort of lifestyle. Understood. Understood. Well, based on what I've what you've just told me, it kind of sounds like you've really, really got like a quite diverse skill set when it comes to uh, training. And I feel like that's a very important thing for uh, PTs because, you know, you're always going to get a different client. Everyone has different needs or different wants. And, you know, some people like to lose weight through resistance training. Some people like to lose weight by doing boxing. And I personally when i started doing personal training myself i mean there's so many areas rather than just you know your standard resistance training way or pretty much getting people in shape but there's so much more to it and obviously like they say these days um the jack of all trades is a master of none but then there's that she forget the real saying which is a jack of all trades is a master of none but it's better than a master of one uh, I think that's the real saying. Don't quite be. Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's good though, man. No. Now we obviously going to get into some real like uh, science-based things based on some stuff that you've been putting out on Instagram, and we'll talk about that. But one thing, obviously, since we brought up about COVID, uh, now over east, there's probably a whole bunch of PTs, a whole bunch of fitness professionals who are going through the exact same situations you are. A lot of people are struggling. Uh, now, for someone such as yourself who's actually been a personal trainer for quite, did you say eight years? Yeah, yeah, on and off for sort of eight years, yeah. 
eight years. So like, let's start with like, what's some good advice you can give to a personal trainer who right now would be struggling with this whole COVID situation? Look, personally, if, if their sole business is relying on personal training and face-to-face, you need to delve into the online space. Um, even if that's not your end goal or your priority, if it's obviously you, you really enjoy face-to-face and want that to be your main business, I think you've definitely still got to have that online option. Um, you've only got to look at what's just happened with COVID and the pandemic. And the moment um, things are shut and you're unable to train people face-to-face or uh, outdoor things get get canned as well, eventually your business is kind of up the shit shoot. So the more you can focus on other areas and still have that option there um, with the online, you're always going to be able to train someone. You're always going to be, have, be able to have some sort of income and eventually you're going to be able to scale and help a lot more people um, across anywhere and any time, basically. Understood, understood. So online is definitely where it should be heading right now. A lot of personal trainers you do actually see nowadays because of COVID going online because when the gym shut, they were like, oh, I need to engage with people without actually physically contact with them. And when it comes to online, it's important that you make sure you know your shit because you know your value. Because if someone's just going to look at your Instagram profile, they're going to be like, oh, who, who is this guy? I wouldn't want to train with him. But if you're showing all this value, which you can provide for them, online businesses can sort of pride. But it's a, it's a long process. It's a, and it's definitely, what is it? It's a very enduring one, but those who are willing to endure it do often make it. Now we've established that. So while, now that we're sort of going into the more, it was a little introductory personal side of things, like uh, let's start with what got you into becoming a personal trainer in the first place. Was there anything else that you did beforehand or? Yeah, so um, my 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 fat fat loss and sort of fitness journey started with with my initial weight loss, um, and then I transitioned into the motocross side of things. During that time, I'm I'm actually a qualified diesel mechanic by trade. That was my my trade that I did in the earlier stages. Um, but once I started getting into uh, the motocross side of things and doing rather well with that. I kind of, I really enjoyed the fact that like, hey, this used to be a little overweight fat kid that's now kind of doing some pretty cool stuff on a motorbike. And I wanted to be able to show that anyone can do anything if you put your mind to it. So no matter how incapable you feel, how much self-doubt or um, lack of self-confidence you may have at whatever body shape, type, size you might be, that if you really want to achieve something, you can. So that's where personal training started for me. So I as I was getting towards the end of my apprenticeship, I started studying online with um, AIPT at the time to, to become a, a personal trainer. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I once I finished my apprenticeship, I quit that and went straight into personal training uh, back in my hometown. And the rest is sort of history from there. Understood, understood, man. So now that we've established that and now we can get in a little bit more into what it was like for you with the personal trainer. Now, you've competed in a whole bunch of things. And this is more of a, a little bit, you could say a bit of a bias question, but let's say in what you've done in terms of powerlifting, in terms of bodybuilding, and did you mention Olympic lifting? Yes. Yeah. So which one of the three would you say would be most most beneficial for a PT to sort of delve into in terms of skill set? I would definitely say powerlifting in that regards. Um, obviously, you don't have to 
the want to compete to be a powerlifter essentially. Um, just the fact that powerlifting has a big focus on getting someone physically strong um, in solid, in good positions and foundational movement patterns that we use in day-to-day life. You've got a good, like uh, broad variety of being able to help a lot of people, regardless if they want to be an athlete and compete or not. Powerlifting and that strength training side of things is going to be beneficial to anyone. So a, power, a, a PT can utilize that across the board. I 100% agree. And I was thinking based on the answer, even if they're a general pop, at some point when they're training for you, while a lot of them usually go into a bit of a strength phase, so they already understand a lot of the techniques. So they kind of already taken that first step into it. Uh, but really, I like it a lot because you see some clients that come through and then once they actually understand a little bit about how strong they are and how strong they can get, it becomes a quite addictive uh, situation. So yeah, it builds their competitive side there. And it also gives them something else to focus on that not physical appearance. A lot of people that come to you as a gen pop, they're in the gym exercising because it's a, it's a physical appearance that they want to improve on. Whereas with strength training or powerlifting, if you switch their focus from that physical appearance to a performance goal, a strength goal, um, it can generally have a very productive and beneficial outcome for them as well. Uh, well, you're preaching to the choir there because I honestly, I am one of those PTs who I understand that when it comes to progress pictures, they can be you know, social proof. But I tell everyone all the time, just because what you see doesn't always transition over to the weight room. And, you know, you see some people, they may look like general pop, but when they've been training for quite some time, they can have some ridiculous strength. So it's, you know, they tell people there's take everything with like a grain of salt because you never know what the situation was when they took those progress pictures. But if you look at what they're doing in the gym, that's a very clear visual standpoint of where they are in terms of fit. It could be where they could be in terms of fitness. Um, now what I care a lot about is like proven legitimacy. And that's something you've got to obviously promote to the general population. If I believe you do want to build clients and I stumbled across you because I thought the way that you present yourself online is in a very, very legitimate way. It's very informative. It's very educational and it's so easy and digestible, which I think is great. So let's dive into that a little bit. Now, um, obviously, some of this stuff you might feel like you're repeating a little bit, so I apologize if it's a little bit too broad. Um, but starting with, you put up a really, really good post. That one definitely stuck with me was uh, some easy tips to increase your calories. And remember, so it wasn't that long ago. So obviously, we're getting not getting super, super deep into it. Can you give us like some easy ways to, you know, how you can increase your calories? Yeah, for sure. So obviously for those people who do struggle to get enough calories in, it might be the ectomorph or just someone with a very low appetite and things like that. Um, I tend to try and base it more towards a few different stages. Um, I think an easy sort of low level way to get it in is through liquid calories. Okay. So whether that might be through uh, blending up smoothies or mirror, like a mirror placement shake almost. Obviously I'm always a big advocate of, um, wholesome nutritious foods and using real food before a replacement supplement but if, if that is needed then um, that's an option for someone um, number two i would look at would be increasing someone's fat so your dietary fats so obviously um, fats yield nine calories per gram whereas carbohydrates and protein only yield four calories per gram so it's a very easy way to get more calories in um, for a small amount of food volume so you don't feel like you're eating as much so things like nuts and seeds uh, avocado 
uh, cooking oils like your um, olive oil and coconut oil and MCT oils, things like that are very easy to add in, even like salad dressings and stuff like that. Um, some higher calorie sources is an easy way, at least that way you're flavoring your meals, making them taste good, and you're also getting some additional calories there as well. Um, and then I also look at things like um, dried fruit. Obviously, it's really important that we get adequate amount of fruit in our diet and dried fruit yields a lot more calories per serve. So um, it's a very easy way to get a big bang for your buck out of a small amount of food. And you can also look at um, just choosing more calorie dense options. So everyone goes for chicken breast because it's just like, I don't know, the bodybuilding world has brought out chicken breast as the number one sort of healthy food. So it seems it's just the way social media and everything sort of presents itself. But what's wrong with chicken thigh? Like, why can't we eat chicken thigh? Because it's got extra fats in there. It's got extra calories in there. It's a very easy, quick swap to get in some extra calories. Um, and stem away from the same old rice and potato like a lot of people get stuck on. You've got pasta, you've got quinoa, you've got very other different, many other different types of carbohydrate sources that are generally more calorie dense per um, say 100 grams or per, per portion size, it's very easy to get additional calories in that way as well. And I think um, you've also got to take into account your overall protein intake. A lot of people that jump into a, um, a nutrition intervention, it's like we know high protein is a very important and easy way to start um, a better diet as such. But a lot of people go, too far with that they go from right to the other end of the spectrum and if you're consuming way too much protein in excess protein is very satiating and it's going to keep you a lot fuller for longer and it's going to blunt your appetite to a certain degree so it's going to make it harder for you to get more calories in so you've just got to make sure that you're not going from one extreme to the other you've got to try and find that that middle ground with that side of things mm, very informative understood understood now Moving on from that, that's obviously we could talk about that's a very strong way to put it. Uh, also, the, this is sort of doubling back to what we just spoke about just about earlier about being online and all that. And it did, definitely did resonate with me. Uh, and it's not really a question I've actually asked PTs before because it's never really been brought into the conversation. So I feel like it's good. It's a good bit, uh, topic to talk about right now. But there was a post you put up about was the reasons why you should video your training with online clients. And that's something I've never really spoken about. So definitely from your point of view, explain why you believe that you should do that. Yeah, look, there's there's a number of reasons. Like obviously if, if you're an online client, you want to get the most out of your coaching. So if you physically can't be there in person with someone and getting that face-to-face -face, um, interaction, that's where videos are very beneficial. So obviously, uh, first of all, is wanting to make sure that you're being safe. So you could easily be doing um, an exercise very wrong and there's the risk of, of injury, which is the last thing you want as a client or as a trainer, you don't want your clients getting injured either. So um, that overall technique feedback and video analysis, just being able to, um, like technology is amazing these days. I can get a video of you up doing a squat and I can draw lines over it. I can put captions on it. I can do so much that is gonna be very beneficial for you to understand. And some clients can almost find that easier to sit there and look at that as opposed to even face-to-face. -face. Like they might sit there and absorb it a lot easier than when they're in the session trying to be cued by a trainer and overthinking things and got a lot going on around them. It's, it's very beneficial. So um, definitely overall safety and just being able to improve your technique and, and small cues and changes is a big one there. Um, and I guess it, it's accountability thing as well. Like if, if you're 
if you know that you go into your workout and you have a big session planned and maybe towards the end, you don't really feel like getting a, getting a certain exercise done. You're like, oh, don't feel like deadlifting that amount of weight today. I'm just going to skip it. Well, if you know that your coach is expecting those videos from you and they're going to hit you up at the end of the week or the end of the check-in or whatever and be like, hey, I didn't get your deadlift video this week. What's going on? You're probably going to feel a little bit guilty about it and it's going to um, be able to help you be a little bit more accountable with further sessions and be like, all right, I need to get this done. I want to film it. I'll send it to, send it to Coach Damien, Coach Joe, whatever, and um, that'll keep me moving forward and make sure I'm progressing. So I think that, that's a big one. And also, like, you, you, can't, um, you can't track what you don't measure. So it's, it's another form of, of data. It's another form of, of progress. So, like, yeah, we look back at spreadsheets and programs and we a lot of it's based off numbers, but it's super important to scroll back through your video feed after a year and be like, wow, that was me deadlifting back then. Look how crap my form is at 100 kilos. Now, look, I'm deadlifting 140 and look how good my technique is. So it's, it's, it's ways to celebrate your wins um, and get that reassurance from your coach that you are on the right track, you are doing the right thing and stop you from questioning yourself as well. Understood. That was, you summed that up really like when we talked about progress and uh, performance, that is a fantastic way to measure it because you've got one or a visual representation of how far you come and it's not actually, it's focusing on what you can actually physically do rather than what you actually see. Now, when you like terms of like a video in, do you like normally like analyze them like as soon as it is after a workout or do you have like a day at the end of the week where you sort of go for, Pardon me, where you go through all the videos, how do you normally schedule it? Uh, look, for me, uh, with all my clients, it's always usually a 12 to 24 hour turnaround with the video feedback. Um, so I, I generally do it pretty much daily. Um, it just depends on how much of an influx I have and what other things I've got going on. But usually they'll always have some video feedback from me within sort of 24 hours. It's uh, a good form of accountability because I've never really brought that up or spoken with anyone. And thinking about it like you don't know how good they are and it's very hard to progress someone if you can't physically be with them and that's one of the hardest things not one of the hardest things is one of the issues of online coaching is because when you're there and you can read everything you can guide them for q for q rather than if you can't see it and you're just giving them numbers and then filming out giving them uh, corrections of technique also does prove legitimacy and value as a as a coach uh next up um now, you've definitely been doing this for eight years now, and obviously you've got a lot of skin in the game, got a lot of experience. In the world at PTs, I've always found like it's always usually like the first nine months as a PT is usually the hardest because you're starting something new for the first time. And one thing I care about the most is like, it's, it's not an easy industry to be in, and obviously because you're working for yourself most of the time. But if you could go back like eight years and talk to younger Damien, what would you say to yourself for the first year of uh, PT? Education. Education. <laughs> Continued education. Like, um, just like you said, like within sort of the first 12 months or so is probably the most important time for a PT. And it's generally when you see people fall off. Like, as I said, I was in and out of the industry when I first started. Um, I'm actually from a small country town called Bathurst. At the time when I started being a PT, it, it's full of um, our town's full of uni students. People didn't want to spend money. They didn't want to prioritize their health. I was trying to build a PT business and there really wasn't a lot of work for us there at the time. Um, and it made it very difficult. So I did sort of, I did pull out of it there for a while, went back to a normal job, 
kind of went in and out for a couple of years and then eventually decided it was time to move to Sydney. And that's where I sort of progressed from there and got to where I am now. But definitely the number one thing would be education. So make sure that you continue to upskill. Like Cert 3 and Cert 4 is the absolute bare minimum that every trainer out there should have. They are like not to put crap on anyone who's done Cert 3 or Cert 4, but they are very basic, basic um, certifications. And it is there is so much more that you need to know before you should be out there training people and helping people. Um, so definitely find your niche or, or your field or your different different fields that you really want to work in. Find people who are better than you that are putting out good good content and are good educators and mentors, and spend and invest your money in that because um, like that is by far the best thing you can do is always trying to um, have someone who's better than you and learn from them. I've done a lot of courses and spent a lot of time even just coaching under other other coaches um, over the years. And it's it's been one of the best things you can do is to learn from them, learn their methods, take bits and pieces that really resonate with you, that work well, and sort of create your own your own coaching um, platform and methods and how how you really want to be seen in the industry as a coach. So education is super important, but you've also got to be able to apply that as well. So experience, spend, don't think that you can just do a couple of sessions here and there and learn all this education and knowledge, but also know how, and know how to apply it. You've got to be able to um, spend a lot of time with that experience and applying it to people, seeing what things go wrong, what things go right, how you can fix that and um, be okay with failing. There's going to be times where you're going to be wrong. There's going to be clients that you might not be able to help and there's going to be issues that could be out of your scope of practice. Um, and that's why it's extremely important for you to be okay with that. Don't feel down or beat yourself up, but work, work a plan out on what you can do to move ahead. And next time, if that problem ever arises or you have a client who's difficult like that again, that you'll be um, confident in yourself knowing that you can fix that or, or do better. Awesome, awesome. So you spoke about some of those that you've done a whole bunch of courses and all that. Uh, probably there would be some like when the audience is thinking, oh, I wonder what courses he's done to follow the same path that you have. So is it okay maybe based on your personal experience of some of those courses, what would you recommend? Yeah, look, um, if, if you want to go down the nutrition side of things, because uh, remember you need to be qualified if you actually want to give out dietary advice and meal plans and things like that. As a just a Cert 3, Cert 4 PT, you're not actually um, insured or registered to do something like that. Uh, so definitely look at getting yourself qualified as a nutritionist. That might be through, say, Sports Nutrition Australia. You might go to uni and do like health science, you know, like nutrition science, dietetics, something like that. Um, Precision Nutrition is a really good course just if you want to get some good basic fundamentals as well. Um, and then training sides of things, depending on where you want to go with it, like with me being strength conditioning coach, obviously I need to be strength conditioning association with Australia certified. So that's a really good course. Um, Sebastian Orbs, Australian strength coach is a great certification to get some really good um, knowledge around strength coaching and powerlifting specifically. Um, if you want to weightlift, you've got Australian Weightlifting Federation to do their level one course. Like I said, it really comes down to um, general, you know, what your niche is and what you want to be about. But um, find someone who you aspire to and look at who they've been mentored by and what education things they've done. And don't be afraid to reach out and ask other coaches. Like for myself, I used to message coaches all the time that I looked up to. 
um, to find out what they did and what courses they'd recommend. You can do the same thing to me or anyone else. Um, so definitely don't be afraid to get out there and, and ask people. Understood, understood. Like asking asking for help is, I mean, there's no, it's not, it shouldn't be seen as a form of weakness. People like to be self-taught and all that, but, you know, it's so much easier to follow a certain road than pave your own. And that can be a positive thing because if it's the same goal and then being a better coach and why not choose the easier road rather than make things hard for yourself. Uh, and I definitely agree in terms of nutrition uh, because most what like nutrition is what fuels the training and all that and as a personal trainer when you actually can coach them what they're doing outside of the gym it's it's a huge it's a huge benefit uh what was the other thing i was going to say for uh if i probably would add to that was just like be patient uh that's that's the next thing because when you jump into it you know you're going to understand you're going to make a lot of mistakes and as a personal trainer, now they've only been doing this for just over two years. I've only just got like, almost two years. I've just got a slight grip of like what I'm doing because yep. it, it, because it's like the best advice I got given is in terms of patients was when I had a uh, one of those PT coaches who coached some PTs. He came on, um, great guy Adam from PT Mechanics. He was telling me like, oh, oh yeah. how yep. oh you know him? Yeah, I know Adam. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Shout out to Adam. It was, uh, I hope you're listening, man, because uh, <laughs> uh, he said to me, like, how long does it take to become an electrician? I was like, I think roughly three years because you do a three-year apprenticeship. And he was like, how long does it take for you to get a university degree? It's like, depends. But for me, it was three and a half years. And then he's like, how long do you reckon it takes to get to cert three and four? And I was like, I don't know, um, six months. He goes, six weeks. Can, some people could do it in less. And I was like, so when they've done their six weeks, they don't really, like, that's not enough to compare to some, it's not enough to like say you're actually completely know everything what you're doing. So, and the longer you do something, the further you go and the deeper you go down into it. So it's, I mean, I like to compare it a lot to martial arts because I do BJJ, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like it takes 10 years to get your black belt. Some people can do it exactly. a little bit less, but it takes, and some people take a whole lot more. But once that's then you really, everything starts to make sense. So then that's just like patience, patience, because we live in the microwave generation where everything wants everything done in like three weeks or four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually yeah. one thing I wanted to bring up about you. Like, I, how do you like combat something like that? If someone comes in, it's like, oh, I got six weeks or five weeks or four weeks or what do you tell them? Look, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm a very blunt guy. I, I tell things how it is. I'm not the kind of guy that sugarcoats and be like, yep, you're sweet. We'll get you there. No worries at all. Um, I'm, I tell it how it is. I'd be real with them. Look, this is the realistic outcome. You've, this is how much fat loss we can do over each week, healthily, safely. Um, and this is, this is the end goal. If they come to me with an unrealistic goal, I'm going to break it down and try and mic, put micro goals in there and work, get them to shift their focus towards that a lot more. Um, and if it's too far out of, um, if it's, if it's a too unrealistic goal, I literally won't take that person on. Like, <laughs> I know that's not the best advice to some people because some people just need clients and they'll sort of do whatever they can, but I'm at the point in my business where I can pick and choose who I, who I want to take on and work with. And I make sure that they are the right fit for me. If someone comes to me and they're like, Oh, I want to lose 20 kilos in 10 weeks. It's not a very realistic goal, nor is it um, going to be a positive thing for their health. 
And that's not what I'm about. I'm going to make sure that I'm working with the people who align with me and understand patience. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you need to be able to understand to play the long game because, yeah, like you said, everyone's impatient. Everyone wants a quick fix. Um, and there is no such thing. You, you, can, you can achieve quick results, but you'll quickly end up back where you started at the same time. Understood, understood. Um, because when you start, there's always going to be that scarcity. I mean, he talked about it as well. And it's, you know, it's, nat- it's a very, very natural feeling. But to get where you are now, to be able to pick and choose and the pa- having that power to say no, it's a very, very, it's very, very beneficial in, in hindsight. Uh, and, but one thing I think it's great is when I see people who have been doing this for a while and they want to help out that person who's in the scarcity, you say, hey, why I can't work with you, but let's go try, try that guy. I know that he's, he's looking for clients. Yeah. He's going to give you a lot of attention. That I, I love to see because and then the, I know it's a very competitive field, but if you do good and you do cooperation, it boosts who you are and it boosts uh, your reputation. And I feel like that's a very, very positive thing. And that's something that I know Adam really likes to do. So good on you, man. Uh, now, when we, I wanted to ask you a little bit about bodybuilding, uh, mainly yep. because you've been doing, you've already competed in four competitions. Uh, now, Bodybuilding in Australia, I would say, is definitely grown. Uh, it's getting a whole lot bigger, and I think that's amazing um, because it gets people focusing on, you know, who is it like giving more attention to themselves, wanting to drive towards something. Now, I have definitely had my criticisms of bodybuilding in the past, uh, even though it's not something I've ever done. But one thing I really wanted to ask you is because I see a lot of people who they have like a time period where they go through like six months of training and all of a sudden they want to step on the stage, but there was no, I'm not, not whenever I believe it to be a good or bad thing. I wanted to ask you personally for someone who's actually been competing in bodybuilding. Uh, do you believe there should be a certain time period of training before you able to step on stage? Yeah, I do. Definitely. Um, like you just said there, a lot of people come in, they do six months of training and then decide they just kind of want to jump on stage and, and or prep or whatever it might be. But I, I think this day and age, like the bare minimum would be 12 months. And I don't mean just 12 months of fluffing around in the gym, the odd mm-hmm. session here and there. It's 12 months of structured, proper training, working with a, working with a coach with a structured off season, making sure that you're, um, getting as strong as possible you're focusing on building a calorie intake to ensure that you're, you're gonna have um like your metabolic ceiling is as high as possible so when the time comes for you to diet and get in condition for a show you've got room to move whereas most people that are jumping on stage these days or the people that are aspiring to do bodybuilding like you said they've spent three to six months in the gym in that time they've followed no structure no training program train five, six, six days a week, sometimes twice a day. They're already doing an hour of cardio in there. They're barely eating their maintenance calories. Most of the time they spend that time in a deficit because they're so fixated between, hey, I want to build muscle. Hey, I want to look lean. And they kind of just spin their wheels and get nowhere. And then when the time comes to diet and get lean, they don't have the calorie intake to drop to get lean um, in a healthy and safe way. They don't have room to push training volume and training expenditure because they're already training a crap load and already doing tons of cardio. And eventually you're just going to get to a point where you're going to run yourself into the ground. You're going to plateau big time. And unfortunately, this is where we're seeing a lot of people ending up with a lot of um, 
like the metabolic adaptation, the negative effects that come from um, excessive under eating and excessive overtraining, especially with females, with the, the amenorrhea, the loss of menstrual cycles, the eating disorders, the all those kind of things that come from it. It's it's a very like as much as I, I do still love bodybuilding, it's a very scary sport for people who don't have a good relationship with food and things in the first place. Um, and it can really delve down a lot of rabbit holes into some pretty deep dark places. I for one experienced it through my first comp. Um, I wasn't very educated. I wasn't very knowledgeable. I put my faith in a coach who I thought was good at the time, but knowing what I know now, it was extremely wrong and everything we did was not in good safe practices and I wouldn't do it again in that regards. But I ended up, um, yeah, same thing, very low testosterone levels. I was very unhappy. I had a really bad relationship with food. I went through binge eating, all those types of things. So it's extremely important to make sure that you look at all aspects of it and not just the shiny glamour of standing on stage in your undies or bikini and being okay with how you look. It's, it's, it's something that um, you need to take rather seriously and think about your long-term health and implications. And just like we spoke about before, patience. Bodybuilding is a sport where you need to be extremely patient. If you're a female who wants to compete in bikini and want, or want to step up into fitness and build some muscle and stuff, Muscle building is an extremely slow process for a female, even at the best of times when they're eating in a calorie surplus, following a good program, program and stuff. The reality is it's still very slow. You don't have the hormonal profile um, to build muscle as well as a male. Even for us males, it can still be extremely slow. Obviously, you've got the other end of the spectrum where there is people using performance-enhancing drugs and things like that that's another ballpark you can get away with a lot more there and that's entirely up to that person if they want to take that risk but you've got to take all these things into account and um yeah i think bare minimum back to answer the question i went on a bit of a rant there but bare minimum would be at least 12 months of good solid training and eating and setting yourself up for uh, a solid prep it's there's a word um the conversation luke lehman i don't know if you know luke lehman from muscle nerds but okay. he's 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 had a saying that he's always stuck with me and it's prepping to prep. The mm. off season is the preparation to get you ready to then prep for um, a competition. And it's something that's always stuck with me and it's, it's very important to understand. 100%. Now you talked uh, a little bit about like your first experience and that you've really went through the hardships. So what was the biggest change you made going from that first competition to the second competition? Understanding that there's no good and bad foods. Mm. Um, obviously, the previous sort of coach, that first coach that I was with, it was all very clean eating based. It was all restriction, cutting out food groups, only sticking to a certain, probably a list of five different foods that you could eat from. Um, also, cheat meals. I really don't like the idea around cheat meals because that essentially um, can move into disordered eating habits and things like that. You shouldn't have to describe something as a cheat meal if you want to eat a burger or a pizza. <laughs> enjoy that. Like that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it aligns, you understand um, whether it aligns with your goals or not. Whereas I would be eating these chicken and rice and vegetables or chicken and potato or whatever, five, six times a day, fish and asparagus, all that sort of stuff. And then be hanging out for Saturday night to go and eat tens of thousands of calories of absolute rubbish and there's nothing healthy about that in any means so definitely just understanding that there's no good or bad foods 
um, and understanding just total calorie intake is, is the most important thing at the end of the day. Correct. I, I, I've always wanted to tell people, I've always told people that, you know, fitness should never be a detriment to your life. Going to the gym and all that should never be a detriment. It should actually really enhance your life. And if you're doing a ridiculous amount of training and you're missing out, you know, on going out, I mean, you really, really want to, but if you're not doing like, we're just training for something like at the high end, like bodybuilding them, I tell people go out. I mean, it's not going to kill you. You know, you're going to look back yeah. at it and be really glad you did it because especially for your mental health as well. Uh, but because bodybuilding is a very selfish sport. It's a very, very selfish very. thing. And you, and you, a lot of them have to live in the shallow lives and, I've, I've spoke, and I, I mean, based on personal experience and the bodybuilders I've spoken to, especially some of the girls, they don't look like, they don't tell me they have many friends because they've turned down and said no to everything. And I'm not, I'm definitely not better than anyone and not better, any better than them. But like, I'm like, do you reckon maybe if you just go out once and you just hang out with a few of them, it doesn't even have to be like having a burger or anything, but just go see them and tell you how you really feel and everything. They do you think that's going to be more beneficial? And then they actually do. But I feel like so some of them just get so addicted to that lifestyle. And there's like a hype, yeah. like in prep mode, and they're posting about it every yeah. five seconds and they're shoving it down yeah. your throat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, 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 become, you become obsessed and, yeah. and it's like nothing else around you matters. And you yeah. become so focused and fixated on that. Like, yeah, exactly what you said. I used to, I was, I'd avoid social events. I was, I wouldn't want to go out to dinner with my partner at the time and things like that. And I look back on all those things. I was like, man, like, there were some dumb decisions I did in my life. I missed out on a big portion of my life. I lost a lot of good friends. I upset a lot of close people to me from doing things like that. And that's another reason why I do what I do now and learn from those mistakes so that people can not go through those mistakes and understand there is better ways to do it. You can still have balance and moderation. You can still enjoy your life to, to some extent if you want to go to that extreme of, or to whatever level of sport. No matter what, there's going to be sacrifices you have to make at some point um, if you want to be at a high-end level, regardless of whatever sport, whether it's bodybuilding, fighting, whatever it might be. But you've got to understand that there is there is um, balance and moderation within it, within, within everything, sorry. And um, yeah, you don't need to be an extremist and miss out on all the important things in your life. Love it. Understood. Understood. Uh, now, the next post, this is a big question I really, really wanted to ask you as well because um, you put up a really informative one about it and it's not something I've asked either as well. But uh, you put up a really good post about Olympic lifting and the, its yep. benefits. And Olympic lifting is something that I've never really, I've, I've done a, a, maybe a few sessions on it in uni. I've, uh, <laughs> it's not something I've ever been educated on. It's not something I've ever taught because it's way out of my niche. But you put up a really good uh post about why it can benefit athletes and yep. you know we've got definitely got some athletes lifting right now who probably want to get involved so what what are uh, so actually this is a two-part question sorry so let's start with athletes how can olympic lifting benefit athletes and the next part is general population how can olympic lifting uh benefit uh, general pop yep yeah cool man um so i guess with athletes the benefits for athletes is essentially um like it's a, again, it's a compound movement. So you're using a lot of muscles. Um, it's going to be very beneficial in that side of things for transfer over to general strength. Now, um, for most athletes, we require some sort of general relative strength 
and there's going to be power and speed development in there depending on what the athlete is but usually whatever whatever sport you play there's going to be some kind of speed and power development on however you move in there and olympic lifting can really help enhance that and transition over to that um it's it's a very neurological skill so meaning therefore your uh, your brain's ability to be able to uh, activate and, and um, utilize like fire, fire more muscle fibers essentially is going to be very beneficial on that side of things. Um, as I was saying, it's going to carry over, it can carry over to strength, overall power and speed, but it's also um, really good when it comes to force absorption and force production. Mm-hmm. So let's take a footballer, for example, their ability to produce force, um, moving forward, moving backwards, jumping, same with absorption, being able to land, everything like that. Um, it's going to have a really good enhancement overall with those kind of things as well. Um, and not only that is the skill side of it. What you got to remember is with a lot of athletes, um, a lot of athletes don't actually enjoy weight training. Many do, but there's a lot of them who are who love their sport, but really dread their gym sessions, but they understand the importance of it. Now, Olympic weightlifting can be very fun, all right? It's, it's very challenging and it's addictive. Mm-hmm. So having that little bit of extra skill and challenge in there, as an athlete, you're generally very competitive. It can be a good thing just to incorporate for them to want to learn and want to get better at. So it keeps a bit of excitement in a training session as well. Um, you've also, you just have to bear in mind that it is because it is very technical. It can be rather dangerous, and depending on the athlete's level and ability, they may not have they may have mobility restrictions, um, injuries, things like that can, that can um, stop them from being able to Olympic weightlift. So you just have to be very mindful with who's doing it, who you're using it for, and why. Um, mm-hmm. For example, fighters, a lot of boxers and stuff, they're very kyphotic in posture. Okay, they're going to have very crappy range of motion with their overhead, with their arms, and things like that. So you're not really going to go get a boxer to try and do a snatch or a clean because they can barely get their arms up into that position. So that's where you've got to be able to regress to different variations. So you might go to say like a, um, a clean pull or a trap bar pull, um, just working on those triple extensions. So the Olympic lifting is the main part of Olympic lifting is a triple extension. So it's uh, hip extension, knee extension, and then obviously the, the shrug side of things as well. So, it can carry over to a lot of different movements. When you look at track and field athletes, runners, sprinters, um, hip extension or triple extension is something that they do relatively fall into a lot of the time. So um, just being better in those positions, stronger in those positions, and more powerful in those positions, it can carry over to their sport. Mm, well put well put uh, i liked how you mentioned that about fighters as well because obviously you know i do talk to a lot of fighters this is usually a fighting and health podcast so yep. uh one thing definitely i always like to te- uh, believe i thought in my mind was because olympic lifting is a very very explosive movement uh there's a lot of force production so i always thought that in a sport like boxing where you have to be quick you have to be snappy or in a sport even like such as myself who does grappling you know it's quick movement quick movements of the shoulder and helps build that shoulder explosiveness and strength so i always definitely am going to be diving more deep into that somewhere down the line uh now that's uh before we wrap this up i've just got a few more things you just want to ask and this is a little bit more into the personal side of your business how yep. do you schedule like your work weeks especially now with the whole covid situation 
Yeah, look, um, I'm slowly getting myself into a, in a proper routine now. So I've only, I've recently transitioned to basically fully online now. Um, so that was only thanks to the whole COVID situation. I decided to make that make that decision and um, make the plunge and, and do it now. So uh, still getting used to the, the whole working from home thing all the time and stuff like that. But general rule of thumb, um, Sunday evening, Sunday night, I'm usually doing plenty content out for the week. So that's where I'm trying to make up my content and have that scheduled out for the week. So it's done and I'm not worried about it uh, during that week. I'll usually uh, do client reminders for their check-ins for that week. Come Monday, it's usually catching up on programs. So any of my clients who are checking in later that week, I'll start doing their program updates and things just to be a bit more prepared for when the check-in time comes around. Um, obviously, I've got to schedule my own training and things in there as well. Tuesdays is um, usually try and have a day away from the computer there. Uh, I do have a second job where I work in a supplement store for a friend of mine. So I, I spend hours there and spend time there. I oh, might nice. do a little bit of study. Yeah, it's, I've, I've always enjoyed. Sorry, I was going to say, which, uh, which, which uh, brand is it? Which supplement store is it? Yep. Uh, so it's actually a um, uh, personal one. So Supreme, Supreme Supplements. Uh, you, shout out to my mate at... Anthony Lawrence at Supreme Supplement Demian Plains. He's um, a good good friend of mine and been in the industry a long time and provides a really good service. So I, I enjoy working for him in that industry. Oh, cool. Awesome, man. Sorry. And for the, how does it go for you for the rest of the week as well? Yeah. Yep. So um, Wednesday is when I usually start to sit down and work, start on my client check-ins. Um, so I get most of those done on a Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday comes around, I'm usually onboarding new clients. So any, any new inquiries and things like that usually happens on a Friday. So whether it's calls, um, Zoom sessions, anything like that. And then I'll get in and try and get most of the programming and stuff done and onboarded on a Friday. Saturdays, I try not to work Saturdays, but if, if I'm catching up or anything runs over the week, it really just depends on how what other things I've had come up in life during that week and what things I've got to get done. But yeah, that's pretty much a standard week for me when it comes to the business side of things. Awesome. Awesome. That's good, man. That's a very, very well planned out week because one thing I always tell about personal trainers is we have to know our schedules down to the T because you know we're planning our sessions or we're planning our studying time or our calls or our check-ins. So I mean it's not really like the pit some uh a lot of personal trainers, the ones who usually do have the best kind of schedules and get the best kind of workflow can tend to be successful uh, most of the time. I've never really met a uh, PT who doesn't have a diary or a calendar who just, I've never yeah. met one of those before. They're out there, hit me up. Uh, I want to know, make some tick because everyone's different. Uh, so last but not least question, because uh, unfortunately that's all the time where we have for right now, but I wanted to ask you, man, before we let you go, uh, earlier on you mentioned your mate um, who runs his supplement store, shout out to him. Is there anyone who you want to thank or anyone you want to give a quick shout out to before we wrap this up? Um, shout out to my brother. So my brother is part of our business. He's a big, big, big part of it. Um, he's someone I aspire to and also a very good coach. So shout out to him. Um, and just any of my mentors and other coaches over the years that I wouldn't be the person I am and the coaches that I am, uh, the coach that I am these days if it wasn't for them. So um, I'm also currently doing a mentorship with um, Sam from Ethos Strength down in Adelaide. And I, oh, I know him. And, yeah, Sam. Sam's a great guy. Um, I highly recommend him and his mentorship. It's it's been really informative and really good so far. 
Awesome. Well, I'll put Damien now, the last, sorry, the last question I'm going to ask you is obviously we'll have some people follow, uh, so who follow the podcast, I'd love to hit you up or follow you. Where can they, uh, where can they find you, man? Yep. So uh, Instagram would be the best place to find me and where I'm most contactable. So um, my Instagram handle is at d.adamstrength. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a business page, which is um, adams.sap for Adam Strength Performance. But for me personally, it's a lot easier to contact me on, on my, um, my personal page. Understood, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, Adam. All the best, man. I hope you stay safe over East and I will catch you soon, man. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, it's all mine, man. All the best.